Well, it is week number four of our Church on Purpose um, series that we've been going through. And here's my hope. It's, it's my hope that as we're spending six weeks looking at what we're supposed to do on purpose, talking about the need to on purpose do what God has said His church is supposed to do, a lot of times in life, even in a church, we do what we, we kind of just kind of willy-nilly go through life and we don't have a plan. Well, God's given us a, he's given us a book. He's given us the very word of God, um, and he said, this is my plan for my church. So we don't have to really be all that creative. We just have to take what God's word says and say, you said to do it. Let's on purpose do what you told us in your word to do. And as we do that, that he is going to help us to become the kind of people and church that we're supposed to become as we do the things that he's designed us as individuals and as a church to do. And so um, we started off looking at the motivation for um, doing what we do, and that's saying we, we start with the heart, and we do things for the right reason. We're right on the inside, and, and the way that we can express that is we're people who what? Care. We're people who care. That that's the heart. That's, who, that's what we are on the inside. And then because we care, we do some things. Because we care, um, God has revealed from his word that, that we should do the, the things that this, that this uh, illustration um, describes. And it starts at the head. Because we care, we worship God with our lives, don't we? Because we care. We worship we worship God with our lives, and we, we looked at what that mean, that, that worshiping with our lives is not just about singing songs. That singing songs is simply an expression. That worship is about um, expressions of our love towards God, and we do it in all different kind of ways. One of the ways is singing, and so we, we worship with our lives. We worship when we go to work, um, if we have a right attitude. Um, then last week we looked at that we, that we in order we, as to do what God's asked us to do, that we connect authentically with people in God's family. That the left arm is connecting authentically that, that we are family. And that um, for a church to continue to be used of God, to do what God wants us to do, that we have what? We have friends with many, that we get close with a few, and that we have issues with none. That that's the way um, uh, God designed his church to be. That, that, we, that in that bigger body of friendship, we get some people that we do life together with. And that we're going to be talking about that a lot as we go on, as we launch a small group ministry here coming up in the next um, month or so. And so we connect authentically with people in the church. We're family. We're connected by the blood of Christ. Now today we want to look at the right arm. We want to look at the, the right arm of, of Portview Pete up there. And it says this, it says, influencing seekers. Well, originally it just says influence, but it's about influencing seekers. And, and the, the sentence that we've created to say what that's supposed to look like is that we are influencing seekers to find Jesus. That that's what that, the right arm of our church is all about. Influencing seekers, and the words are chosen very particularly here, influencing seekers to find Jesus. Now I want to do something. I want to back up in your mind. Most of us were here last week. I want you to back up in your mind as we begin talking about this, and I want you to re- I want to remind you of something that was kind of a foundational principle from last week, something we looked at. That last week when we looked at the early church, remember we read Acts chapter 2? Remember we looked at that last week, and I'd given you as that as homework two weeks before that to read that. And so it's been two times now we've, I've said read it, and then we've read it together. That as we did that, we looked at the early church, and it described, last week we looked at how it described how they interacted with one another. 
that in the church community they had authentic community. They really connected. They really cared. They really interacted with one another. Church was not about just coming, sitting in the back of the chair, staring at the back of the person in front of you, and then going home. That they, the early church understood that's not church. It's something, but it's not the church that Jesus created. And so they created authentic community. But as we read that, the very last verse that we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it said this. And it says it described what was going on, kind of the five functions of the early church. And the very last thing it said was this. It says, And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Remember reading that? They talked about this is all they did. And it wasn't out of place. It was saying, And as a result... The Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. See, the church, back then, was growing because more and more people were coming to Jesus to have their old sin life forgiven and were beginning new lives in Christ. Now, I want us to think about something. Let's fast forward a little over 2,000 years. Obviously, as we sit here 2,000 years later from that, that event, that time, this is still happening. Obviously, people are still coming to Jesus to have their old sin lives forgiven and beginning new lives in Christ. And the reason we can say that's happening, obviously, 2,000 years later is because we're still here. There's a church sitting on the hill overlooking Lake Michigan here in Port Washington, Wisconsin. That people obviously are still responding to God as he makes himself real to them and he calls them to leave their old life behind and to follow him. And understand, when, we, when you come to Christ, that's what it's about. It's about leaving your old life behind and coming to follow him. It's not about just saying, I want to say some little prayer. It's about a brand new existence. And that's happening all over the world. And it's happening in Port Washington, Wisconsin, obviously, because otherwise we wouldn't exist. And this idea of people coming to Christ, the Lord adding to our number day by day, those who are being saved, this is what I want us to think about today as we think about this influencing seekers to find Jesus. And a question I want us to think about to kind of get it going is, how do people still keep coming to Jesus as Savior? And maybe a better thing to think about is this, or maybe to understand as we think about how does this happen, is to understand this, and this is just the truth that people coming to Jesus to find to turn away from their old life and come to a new life in Christ, that that does not happen by accident. That it, it's something that's done on purpose. And that, that it doesn't happen because of wishful thinking. And a lot of times in the church world, I think that's what we think. If we just wish for it, or we even say if we just pray for it, which a lot of times is our form of wishful thinking, that somehow by accident or by wishing that people still come to know Jesus. But I want you to understand today as we think about this, that reaching people with the gospel is done on purpose. It does not happen on accident. That God's the ultimate one who does the whole thing. He drives the whole deal. God is the one drawing people on purpose. But he calls his church to join with him in the process and even to the point that says, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, it's never going to happen. That it's got to be something, it's something that happens on purpose, not by accident. Helping people meet Jesus is something we as a church are to be doing because we plan to do it. We do it on purpose. It's to be to us, this is, way, this is why influencing seekers is Portview Pete's right arm. I, we chose it on purpose, it's his right arm. Because I want you to understand that reaching people on purpose 
is as critical to our existence as your right arm is to your body. Now, most of us here are right-handed. Some of you are wrong-handed, right? How many lefties do we have? Quite a few. I think it's like 10% of the population. So, boo. Wrong. Well, right-handed and wrong-handed. Oh, okay. So, what is it right and wrong? Okay, so left-handed. And so, so for those of you, that six or eight of you who raised your hand, just bear with me today in understanding that for the rest of us who are limited, and we are, usually lefties accomplish a lot, I'll tell you that. They really do. Um, I come from a line of lefties. My dad's a lefty. Brett's a lefty. And uh, a lot of times lefties can do things both ways. Brett can, you know. And so uh, am I getting digging out of the hole here? So, no, okay. So anyways, the right hand, generally for most of us, we recognize that we can't do a lot without our right hand. Now, if you want to laugh your head off, let me throw a softball with my left hand. We call it this, and I don't understand why we call it. We say it looks like throwing like a girl. Some girls can throw really well, but I throw like a girl who can't throw anything with my left hand, you know? I can't do a lot left-handed. I can't write anything left-handed. I can't, I can't do much left-handed. So on purpose, for the majority of our society, we understand that the right hand is, is the one that we rely on the most. It's really important. If I had to give up my right hand or my left hand, I'd give up my left hand before my right because I need it. That becoming clear that we're saying this is important, that helping people come to know Christ on purpose, is as crucial to our existence as our right arm is to our body. You see, God has given us the mission. It's His job, the mission, to on purpose influence seekers to find Jesus. It's our right arm. It's the right arm of His church. And we're His church. We're not ours. And what I want to do today is I want to talk about this statement. We're just going to kind of stay in this statement. Influencing seekers to find Jesus. What I want to do is, is break it down kind of into three parts. And to show you that all three components, that the words were selected very carefully, that all three components are incredibly important for us as a congregation to understand how God wants to energize us and use us in this community to change the world. Do you know that God, when He saved you, He saved you to be somebody He designed to change the world? Do you get that? Sometimes we have such small little visions of what God wants. God, God's plan for the church is to change the world. It's not just to exist. It's not just to get to heaven. It's to change the world. And this statement is a huge, it's the right arm of how that happens. So let's break this statement down, influencing seekers to find Jesus. So the, the first thing is this. The first word is influencing seekers to find Jesus. You see... People don't find, that's influence, people don't find, they don't meet Jesus on accident. People come to find Jesus when those who already know Jesus reveal Him to them. That's how they come to know Jesus. Did you know that if, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are to reveal Jesus to those who don't know Him yet? Did you know that? That that's one of the cre- created reasons for existence that you have. Did you know that the reason that God gave you the job that He has given you, that the real reason is ultimately so you can reveal Jesus who don't, to those who don't know Him yet at work? That's the real reason. He, he, has, he wants to help you make a living through your job, but the real reason, ultimately, is so you can influence people. 
you can reveal Him to people. Did you know that the main reason that God gave you the skill set you have and the passions that you have for the sports or recreation or activities that you enjoy, the reason He gave you that, you know, I can't understand why anybody would want to knit. I don't get it. Why would, but some of you love it. But you can't understand who, last Friday, at 25 below zero wind chills, would take his son rabbit hunting. My wife's like, you're a loon. You know? You're nuts. We're like, no, it's fun. She's like, you're going to die. We're like, no, we're not. We think it's fun to tromp through the woods, bundled up like, like Eskimos, so your eyeballs don't freeze out. You know, it was cold. But you know what? I wasn't cold, were you? Not at all. You know, so the reason that you have the passions you have and the skill set you have and you enjoy the recreational things that you enjoy, that's all part of who, who your DNA is. The reason you enjoy that is ultimately so that you can reveal Jesus to people who don't know him yet, who are on your, maybe your sports team, or who are in the club that you belong to because of your passions, or are maybe among the observers at the sport that you love to watch, that that stuff, the very DNA way you were created, the things you like, it's not so you can do that stuff. It's okay that you do it. But the reason God breathed that into you is so that he can put you in a situation where you rub shoulders with other people who don't know him yet. And you can reveal him to them. To them. That's the ultimate reason. Did you know that the reason that you live where you do and you're in the family that you are in is ultimately so you can reveal Jesus to those who don't know him yet? You see, you were created by God to be an influencer. Tell the person next to you, say, you're an influencer. That's God's plan. Some of you don't believe that. I'm hoping by the end of today, you're going to believe it. You are created by God to be an influencer. You see, when Jesus described what his followers were to be, he said this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Your salt and your light. Let your light shine in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, Jesus looks at you and he looks at me and he says that ultimately we are created by him to bring influence. You see, like salt influences the popcorn that you eat. It completely influences it. I, I, I would absolutely choose to not eat popcorn if it didn't have salt on it. Really. I would just say, I'm not that hungry. You know, I'd have to be very, very, very hungry to eat it without salt. Because it's nothing. You might as well, you know, eat a piece of bark. You know, right? You know what I'm talking about. So, like salt influences popcorn. And like light influences the darkness. And it influences the darkness how? By repelling or dispelling the darkness. By revealing then what's around, when you turn a light on in a dark room, the darkness flees, the light overcomes it, and reveals everything. It illuminates. That Jesus used those ideas, those concepts. He's saying, listen, we are to influence those around us. Your salt and your light. Jesus said you were created to shine. So don't, and he says this, so because you're created to shine, don't hide your light under a basket. So every one of you has been created to influence the people around you. Each of you know people in this room today, 
Each of you know people that none of the rest of us know. And God has strategically put you in their lives as an influencer, as salt and as light. And as an influencer, here's what I want you to understand about how God wants to use you in a couple ways, but here's the first part. As an influencer, God wants you to invest in the people around you. God wants you to invest your life into the lives of the people that he has strategically placed you around. In all the ways, we said, in your hobbies, in your career, in your location, in your family, he has created you to be an influencer, and he wants the way he wants you to influence, he wants you to invest in the lives of the people around you. I want you to say something with me today. Say, invest and invite. Invest and invite. I want, you to, I want that to become burned into your brain. Invest and invite. Invest. We'll talk about invite in a little while. The way God wants us to influence people is by investing into their lives. And here's what I want you to understand today, because some of you, because of the way God created you, or because of the way life has affected you, you opt out of what I want to say, and I want to show you it's not, it's not God's plan. It doesn't matter what personality type you have, if you're bold or you're shy. So I'm going to say is, as I get into this, you're going to say, well, Pastor Mark, that's easy for you. You would talk to that microphone if there was no one around. I probably would. If it talked back, and even if it didn't, I might. You know? (laughs) But the way God wants you to influence people is by investing into their lives. And it doesn't matter what personality type you have, if you're bold or you're shy. It doesn't matter how much money you have, because it's not about money. You were created by God to invest in other people. To invest in others is to simply care about them. Boy, there's that word again. To care about them and put that care into action. You invest in someone when you are kind to them. You invest in someone, it doesn't cost anything, and you don't have to be bold to do that. You invest in someone when you help them out or give them a hand in their lives, when you cut their grass or you shovel their sidewalk or you babysit for their kids and say, oh, no, no charge. When you bake them a pie and you take it next door and they say, why are you doing this? I would say, my, my OCS advertisement every year, by the way, Roger, it's so good to see you in church. That was one sick man and he's back in church. Praise the Lord that you're doing well. We buy OCS pies every year for one reason. We never get to eat them. When we needed two OCS pies because my dad, for his 75th birthday, said he wanted OCS pies, we had to go on the Internet and say, does anybody please have OCS pies we can buy? Because we buy them to bake them and give them away to neighbors to invest into their lives. Every year, that's what we do. So you can invest by baking them a pie. You can invest by, you want to say, but that still costs me something. You can invest in a neighbor by doing something that's really unusual in Wisconsin, anytime, but especially in winter. When you pull in your driveway, you know, I can, my, my garage door opens from the street. Click. And it opens up, and I can drive right in there when the neighbor's sitting right there and never turn my head and drive right in my driveway, and when I get in, click, and it closes behind me. You can invest in someone by simply stopping and saying hello. I got, the cars are pretty cool now. they got this really cool thing, most of them. One of my cars, one doesn't. Push a button, and that window over there comes down. <laughs> the person on that side, their driveway's the closest, and I can say, Hey, Al, how you doing? How's Deb? How are your kids? It's freezing cold out, isn't it? I'm going in the garage. You know? How was that pie? You know? 
It takes two seconds and cost you anything other than a few moments of your time. You can invest in people in any million of imaginable ways. You can invest in somebody simply by taking time to sit down and talk with them. If you're always so busy you can't talk to somebody, you're too busy. Because God wants you to invest in the people. It's part of our right arm. Investing in others is simple. It's just doing, it's just simply going out of your way a bit to be kind and to be loving. And you know, we kind of get this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself stuff somewhere in that book. You know, like the heart of it. Jesus said it's the summation, love God and love your neighbor. It's the heart of it that investing in others is going out of your way a bit to, to be kind and loving. And friends, when you invest in others, you are doing something. You're influencing them. You say, you see, because sometimes we use the word like influence, and you say, but I'm not as powerful, influential, influential person. Yes, you are. Mother Teresa was an incredibly influential pe- person. And you know what? She couldn't beat anybody in arm wrestling. You know what? There's not a whole lot she could. She, she was not powerful, but you wouldn't think. But she was so influential, she could go up to one of our past presidents, poke her stink, his little bony fingers, about that tall, right in his chest, and say, when are you going to stop murdering babies? Yes. You know, she could do that. Because she was influential. When you invest in others, you are influencing them. And they begin to see you as a bit different than the other people in the world. They begin to ask questions. They begin to say, maybe they don't like blah, but they ask them to themselves, what makes that person so nice? I want to warn you, don't be nice with an angle. Don't be nice just to, to get something from somebody. Don't be nice just to say, I'm going to bring you to God. No, you're nice because that's who you're supposed to be. That's who God, he created us to invest in people. It's not supposed to be a sham. It's, it's supposed to be who we are from the core. But eventually they begin to ask, what makes that person tick? Why are they so nice? Friends, as you, as you do this, as you invest, you are, your, your influence is revealing the reality of Jesus in you to those people. And they say, you know what, you really do care. So, this right arm of who we are is it is first of all we're we start we, we're to influence. We're to influence people by by caring for them, by investing into them. So we, we start by investing, but then I want to I want to bring it a little narrower. We invest Obviously, in maybe we can invest in anybody's relationships and any relationship we have, but you know what? I know a lot of people. And I can't just invest time into every single person I know. It's physically impossible. I have to sleep at night. I've got a job to do, and so do you. So when it comes to being the right arm of the church, well, I want to, I want to narrow the focus a little bit. That when we influence, we think of our influence, the heart of it, going to influencing seekers. I want to talk about that. That's a word that a lot of people get nervous about. I don't get it. A lot of people get nervous about it because they think when they word, use the word seeker in the church world, that means somehow that we, have, we gut the church of everything it believes and we just try to please people and somehow placate them and, and appeal to, their, to their, just their humanity and call that spirituality. No, it's not. Somebody might misunderstand that and say that. But when we say influencing seekers to find Jesus, we understand we're talking about those people who have a heart for God, a hunger for God. You see, generally as Christians, we're pretty good at influencing and investing into others in our church family. We're usually pretty good at it. As we develop authentic community, as that increases in our church family, 
We help each other. We spend a lot of time together. We do home groups together. And that's great, and that's as it should be. This should be family. But if we're not careful, and if we're not intentional, that over time we become consumed with other Christians and we exclude any real relationships from our lives with people who don't really know Jesus yet. You know, a year ago, right now, we did an all-church survey. Remember that one year ago? At our annual meeting. You don't have to endure that this year. We took time. It took you 30 minutes to fill out a long survey. You know, one of the things we found from the survey is why we did it to figure out where we're really at. We found that as a whole, that almost nobody in this church has friends with lost people. That's how you answered the survey. That you basically said, we don't have connections with people who don't know God. That our worlds have become very insulated and very isolated. That's a natural thing that happens as you walk with God. I want to just explain that. That's natural. but we, It's a natural t- trend. But we need to fight against that if we want the right arm to be what it's supposed to be. You see... Um, for us to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish, to influence seekers to find Jesus, then we need to be in relationship with people who don't know Jesus yet. That's not rocket science, is it? That's just reality. And the word that I want you to pay attention to about this here is the word seekers. Influencing seekers. As you invest in the people around you, and there's all kinds of friends and neighbors and co-workers and family members, as you invest in them, what I want to challenge you to do as you're loving on them and being kind to them, just always keep your eyes and ears open for what God is doing in the lives of other people. It's not a whole lot of hard work. It's just simply being aware and, and being prayerful. And you say, God, what are you doing in the lives of... If I strategically am placed where I am, if you strategically created me as I am, so I like what I like and I do what I do and I live where I live because it was your plan, then, Lord, obviously there's people you want me to influence. Help me see what you're doing in the lives of people around me. Because even sometimes if it's not all that clear at first, you will see if you look that some of the people around you are seekers. They really are. They're people who are looking for spiritual answers. They are feeling that tug of God from the Spirit of the Lord deep within them, and they're wondering what that is, and they begin to explore, and they begin to ask questions, and they begin to look to people who they think have the answers and might can answer their questions, and oftentimes if you're in their life, you're investing, they understand that person is you. So you look for those who are seeking something spiritual in their lives. And the way you know that that this is happening is when spiritual matters and spiritual questions come up or you ask a spiritual question and they respond positively to it. You know, maybe they ask you because they're going through something, they say something like, do you go to church? Or they say something, "Are are you a Christian? Or they say something about God or they maybe express doubts about what they learned in Sunday school as a kid. Or they say something about, I tried religion and it didn't work. All those things are evidence that something spiritually is going on because no one asks those questions unless something's happening inside their heart. So when someone is thinking about and talking about spiritual matters, that reveals that they are experiencing the influence of the Holy Spirit in their life and are becoming a seeker. They're just saying, what's going on? That's what a seeker is. Somebody's saying, I want to know if this is real. In John chapter 6, verse 44, a verse that I quote all the time, if you've been around me at all, Jesus says this. He said, no one can come to me, to Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him. 
We're simply looking to see the people that are feeling that drawing in their life. It's all about God. So when someone's thinking and talking about God, and they're talking about spiritual matters, it is the evidence that they are a seeker, at least a potential seeker. That they're probably not opposed to what God is doing in their life. They're a seeker. Friends, these are the people that you need to key in on in your life. These are the people you need to invest into. These are the people you need to look for opportunities to talk to them. You need to look for opportunities to answer spiritual questions. You need to open opportunities to just throw out a spiritual question, a spiritual comment, and to see if it's like a fish that they bite it. If they don't bite it, they're not hungry, and it's all right. You just keep on going. These are the people you need to key in on. You know, and these are the people you need to pray for. These are the people you need to say, take boldness and say to them when they talk about a problem, and you say, could I pray for that? Can I tell you something too, friends? Don't freak people out. Jesus isn't freaky. He loves people. To say to somebody very calmly, can I pray about that or can I pray for you? I've never had a person say no. But the next step you don't do when there's 17 people around, lay your hand on their head and start screaming in tongues, you know, knocking them on the ground, that wouldn't be a good idea. You quietly get them aside and you say, how about after church I pray, or after work we just stop over here and I just say a little prayer with you. I've never seen a person say no. See, these are the people that you key in on. And then as you're keying in on them and you're seeing, you're beginning to invest into their life more and more and more, then you need to take the next step. And I believe the Spirit of God will lead you to when the next step is. And sometimes it's really intimidating and you need to do this strategically so you don't burn your bridge with them in case they say no. But at this time, when you recognize who the seekers are in your sphere of influence, then I think the most strategic thing you can do in their life is invite them to church. I believe that's the most strategic thing that you can do. You see, a vital part of influencing seekers to, to, help, to help them find Jesus, I believe in our culture, in our day and age, is to invite them to a church where the gospel is presented and good, godly, loving, authentic community exists. So you bring them in and they experience something they've never in, experienced in their entire life before. See, a vital part of influencing those seekers is to bring them, to invite them, to invest and invite. If you want to be used of God to help people come to know Him, you are a person who invests in the lives of people. And when you see a spiritual seeker, you begin to invest and to pray, and you look for opportunities, and you take the opportunity, and you invite them to church. You see, the last part of this phrase, and this is where it makes sense to you, the last part of the phrase that we're looking at the right arm that we're breaking down today is influencing seekers to find Jesus. See, that's the goal. Not just influencing seekers to think that you're something special. Influencing seekers to find Jesus. And I have found that the most effective way to do that is to invest in seekers and then as the Spirit leads, to invite them to church. So that they're in this great environment where they experience the presence of the Lord and they have an opportunity then to welcome them into their lives. You see, Jesus made us a promise, and this is why this works. He made us a promise that when we gather together in his name, that he will be with us in a special way. So I know that when I bring a seeker into a place where people are honestly a healthy church, which we are, that has authentic community, which we do, and has good worship, which we have, and has nice people, which you are, and his presence of the Lord is real, 
that when I invite them into that presence, into that situation, something spiritually powerful happens in their lives. I've found that you bring a secret to church that you have been investing into and you have been praying for that they will very often give their lives to Christ. You know what? This is what sometimes people do in church. They pray, oh God, I pray. And if you do this, don't be offended because I don't know if anybody does it. I pray that cars that just drive by the road will come to church today. Now that would be really cool. But that's not the way God's planned it to work. Because it's all about relationship. It's about investing and inviting. The way he wants you to be praying is, God, I've been investing into Sally for two years now. I've been investing into her. I know she's a seeker. I've been answering her spiritual questions. And now I feel led to invite her to this very strategically designed environment so that, that God's planned out so that she can come to know you. See, I have found that when you bring a seeker to church, that they very often come to know Christ as Savior. See, this is a spiritually powerful environment for a seeker to experience the reality of God among the family of God. So when we gather together, friends, understand, we are creating an environment that helps people to experience God's reality. And a little sidebar, do you understand that's why it's so important that you're here? It's so important that you're part of the body? Because just maybe it's the day I'm bringing somebody to church that I've been investing into, and I've risked my relationship to invite them, and I show up and there's no one there to just love on them. And they go, well, that was nothing special. You, you are part of something eternal and dynamic when you're part of a local church. It's why when you, you need to be part of the body because you are creating an environment that helps other people come to experience God's reality as they come into the community. We become a tool God uses to bring people to know Him. Now understand something. Because we believe that the best way to influence seekers to help them find Jesus is for all of us in our work, in our lives to invest in the people and then invite them. That because we absolutely believe that, because I absolutely believe that, it'll explain to you why we structure some of the things the way we structure them here in a Sunday morning service. Everything's done for a purpose. We do church on purpose. We have structured this service so that you can feel confident that when you bring your friends that this will be a positive and a safe and an effective environment for them to come to know Jesus. And that's why when you come to church, you can count on some things happening that will happen for sure on purpose when you come together. And we've been working on this for four years now to develop it. You will find that when you bring your friend, your friend will feel welcome. It won't be a clique or a club that they're not welcome in. You will find that they're welcome. They'll be greeted at the front door. They'll come to our cafe. They'll have a, cup, a good cup of coffee. They'll spend time with good people. And in the service, there's going to be 25 people who are going to shake their hand and say, nice to meet you today. They're going to be welcome in this place. I'll go out of my way to create an environment where they feel welcome. You will find that your friend, when they come in this place, finds that they fit. What I mean by that is that we are diverse on purpose. As a church family, we are diverse on purpose. That irritates some people because they, church, they want the church to be very polarized and very singular in what it is, but that's not God's plan for his church. That we are diverse on purpose, from business owners and executives to housewives. And guess what? Republicans and Democrats are welcome in our church. That's the truth. On purpose. Because I just bet you the person you're investing and inviting into just might have a different political persuasion than you have. Jay just might. 
they're welcome here. So when you say, well, you need to be more political, I look at you and I smile and I say, no. <laughs> For a reason. I care more about eternity than I care about temporary things. Now, I'm, I, am, I am politically motivated in my personal life, but the church life is something different. It is. Because I want you to be able to invest and invite into people, and they just might have a different opinion. Matter of fact, they will have a different opinion. And so we create a place where your friend will fit. They won't feel out of place because we got a diverse group of people here, young and old, rich and poor, conservative and, and, and liberal. They're welcome. But understand this, that does not mean we compromise one bit. We preach this book in an uncompromised manner, which I just a little insight, which is pretty conservative. Politically, it's pretty conservative. Um, financially, it's pretty conservative. Ethically, and so we preach it without compromise, but we don't try to jump on the world's bandwagons that will automatically tell people, I don't want to be at that place. Does that make sense? The person you're investing inviting, inviting into will feel that they, they won't feel uncomfortable because they'll feel that they fit, in a sense that there's somebody who kind of is at my stage of life. There's somebody who kind of welcomes me in, that they feel like they fit. When you bring somebody to church also, you will find that the service will be conducted decently and in order. Because I know this, you won't invite somebody if you think weird is going to rule. The Bible is very clear. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, that the public worship service should be done decently in order. And it's in the context of talking about because of what outsiders will think about you. Go back and read that. That's why it's being corrected, why the church in Corinth was being corrected. Because the outsiders that were they were supposed to invest and invite into their circle wouldn't come because they, this is what they said. They will think you're crazy. So we work at being decently and in order. Our leadership is works to be sensitive to the leading of God's Spirit to follow Him any direction He wants. And we are aware of the fact that God wants that to go on in a decent and an orderly fashion. And so we don't let unbiblical things happen. We line up with Scripture. You'll also find when you bring a friend that you will find that your friend will get something out of the service. That the message will be relevant and it will be powerful for people at all spiritual levels. People who's been walking with God for 20 years and somebody who doesn't yet know God will, be, will have a powerful message preached to them in a relevant manner. So you can be sure you can bring them in. You'll also find that the churchy things, that that um, that because we do a lot of stuff that's churchy. You know, we take communion, we, pray, we break into prayer circles. The most threatening thing we do here as a church is a couple times a month, we break into prayer circles and I'm thinking everyone, oh man, somebody invited somebody and they invested into them for a long time and they're going to think, what in the world, are you going to freak me out and praying for me? So I explain it every time. When the gifts of the Spirit are manifest in the service and we, we desire the gifts of the Spirit. The Bible says do not, do not despise them. When we do, I just think primarily they're designed to function in small groups. I really believe that's the best biblical way. Um, just because of reality of large groups. It doesn't work in large groups. But um, that when, when the gifts of the Spirit are manifest, what do we do? I come right up here and I explain. I say, the Bible says this. We don't explain, say our church says. We say, this is what God says. And so we, when, when you find, when churchy things go on, they will be explained in a biblical manner so your friend doesn't think you're weird. Because I know you're risking your relationship. So we explain spiritual gifts and we explain why we pray together and we explain what communion means and we explain those things. And sometimes you may say, well, why did you say that again? I know that already. Guess what? It's not about you. It's about the person next to you who actually took the risk 
to invest into somebody, invite them to church, because they recognize the right arm of God's church exists to seek and to save that which is lost. And we are not the church if we do everything but the right arm. We are a club, but we're not the church. God wants to use us to change the world. Now, I realize it takes time and it takes effort to invest into people. And I realize that sometimes you'll invite them and they'll say no. Matter of fact, they'll probably say no more than they say yes. I understand that because I do it all the time. I'm going to challenge you. Just keep on investing. Keep on loving. Keep on serving. Keep on investing. Keep walking with your eyes wide open to say, God, who around me is sensitive to you? They're a seeker. And when you recognize by the, just you feel God inside of you saying, you know what, you've been investing. Now without pressure, invite them. Hey, just so you know, this is going on on Sunday. Or just so you know, um, we got a marriage builders class coming up. Just so you know, this is happening. Just so you know, we got this great kids program on Wednesday night. Just so you know, we got the best youth group on the planet. Just so you know, we got the best junior high pastor in the world. Whatever you want to say, it's all true. <laughs> because God's blessed us. You invest and you invite. Take the risk. And I believe this, that God will use each one of you to lead others into his family. And friends, when it's all boiled down, that's all that matters. That's really all that matters. Our life doesn't matter if that right arm is missing. I shouldn't say that. Our life doesn't matter completely. God designed something more for us than just walking through life without a right arm. He wants to use you as an influencer to invest and invite. And you can feel confident that when you bring them in, they got a place that they can come to know God. It's safe. It's structured on purpose so that you can feel comfortable bringing people in. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask you to do something wonderful right now. I ask God that right now that you would bring to our mind someone in our circle of influence who is a genuine seeker. That God, right now, somebody in our lives, maybe we've been unaware of it till right now, you would just bring their name to our mind. A genuine seeker. They may be seeking for a while. It may be brand new. They might just be starting to respond to that still small voice calling them. Bring them to our mind right now. God, if we don't have, if we sit, if we don't have anybody in our life who doesn't know you, that we've, we've really just by the process of life become so insulated that right now I ask God that you would show us how you want us to open up our circle. Maybe show us that there are, there's somebody that we really should go spend some time with. Maybe we should serve or we should help. 